What stories haunt these waters on the Hudson? Between New York and New Jersey, where so much American history flows. The date was July 28th, 1841. So we're 180 years ago. Word was spreading pretty quickly that, you know, Mary Rogers has been murdered. To understand what happened to Mary Rogers nearly two centuries ago, you need to know what used to happen inside this cave. It's called Sybil's Cave, and in the mid-1800s on the Jersey side of the Hudson River in Hoboken, New Yorkers with money came to the natural spring here as a weekend getaway. People would come over to this side of the river on the weekends especially to get fresh air. New York is a big sooty mess. And says Hoboken Historical Museum director Bob Foster, on that day way back in 1841, Sybil's Cave became infamous for another reason. They always talk about that the body of Mary Rogers was found floating in the river just off of Sybil's cave. Mary Rogers, a 21-year-old woman who at the time of her death was already famous in New York City just for being herself, until one day they found her body floating in the Hudson River. I'm Dan Bowens, and this is The Tape Room. On this episode, the murder of Mary Rogers, a crime from nearly two centuries ago that all but created the genre of true crime murder mysteries. Our interview now with author Daniel Stashauer, his book, The Beautiful Cigar Girl Murder, Mary Rogers, Edgar Allan Poe, and The Invention of Murder, details this historical and complicated case. Well, Mary Rogers was kind of the it girl of 1838. She was this uh, very attractive, very young woman, said to be ethereal and hypnotically beautiful. And all of New York seemed to be talking about her. And a, uh, a merchant named John Anderson, who owned a cigar store, hired her to sit behind the counter and sell cigars, believing that a, a pretty face would draw customers into the store. And this turned out to be uh, to be very much the case. And she achieved a kind of early form of uh, what we would today recognize as being famous just for the sake of being famous. Men wrote poems to her. They went on and on about her her um, hypnotic eyes, her, her raven tresses. She was almost like a Kim Kardashian of her time in this area for what it was? For what it's worth, that's exactly right. And and it was for the time when obviously there was no uh, no other forms of media, she was being written about in the newspapers a lot. But the story did not have a happy ending. In 1841, in July, she was found floating in the Hudson River, uh, strangled to death. And the city just went into an uproar over this. She was from the New York area. She had just kind of arrived here. How did she end up working at that cigar store? Well, she and her mother had moved to New York a short time earlier. They had opened a, uh, a boarding house eventually. Uh, and uh, she was just someone who um, attracted attention just on the basis of who's, who she was. 
they had, uh, she and her mother had known John Anderson, the owner of the cigar store. And he offered her this position and he paid her quite well. Where was the shop and how prominent was it? It was on the lower Broadway. It was quite, it was uh, uh, quite prominent. And uh, John Anderson was very, was very successful. Uh, it became a sort of gathering place for not only for politicians, but also for literary types, uh, uh, including Edgar Allan Poe, who was said to have bought his tobacco from her. Uh, and it became prominent and, and uh, Anderson himself got this idea to sell individual plugs of tobacco wrapped in foil and he made a fortune. He was very successful. So here's this sort of social melting pot of writers and politicians and business people. And she's right there front and center. She's right there front and center, getting a lot of attention. And then one day she sort of vanishes. Her movements up to the point of, uh, of when she disappeared were unusual. Uh, she, she had a man who lived in the boarding house who considered himself her fiance. She knocked on the door, said she was going to visit uh, a relation up, uptown. That relation had not uh, had not heard that she was coming, and uh, she disappeared uh, from that day. Uh, if she she didn't come home that night. She arranged to meet her fiance in the evening. She did not appear. Didn't appear the next day, and then a short time later, uh, her body was found floating towards the New Jersey side of the river. You know, word doesn't travel as fast as it does today, but did, did it get written about in the newspaper? Was it something that sort of all of a sudden it became a headline? You're exactly right. There was no 24-hour news cycle. There, was, there were no helicopters and CNN covering it. But by the standards of the day, the story exploded. It was a big story. And it was one of these cases where the lower end of the city's newspapers, the, the penny press, was driving the story. They were on, they realized they were on to a hot story and soon the more upper echelon stories, the broadsheets had to, had to catch up or be left at the station. There was a particularly James Gordon Bennett of the, of the Herald uh, took this football and ran with it down, downfield. He was writing about it all the time, presenting this as, uh, as um, the story is a sad example of New York's decline into depravity. What was her condition when they found the body? She had been strangled and uh, there was a lace cord tied around her neck. And one of the descriptions, uh, early descriptions of her was uh, described her as uh, nightmarish beyond imagination. More than one account uh, agrees that she had been strangled with a lace cord around her neck, and there were also clear, clear signs of manual strangulation, finger marks, finger mark bruises on her throat. Certainly there had been, there had been murders, you know, in, in New York, and there had been crimes, but this kind of becomes like the modern day murder mystery. And, and that's a, an excellent point. There, there were plenty of terrible things happening in New York in the 1830s and the 1840s, lots of murders under truly horrific circumstances. This one, at least partly because of her notoriety, because of the celebrity that she'd achieved beforehand, got all kinds of attention. All the different journalists who were writing about it 
sort of bent the story to their will. Some of them had an ax to grind with City Hall about uh, certain laws, certain regulations. And in this story, they found a, um, a tool that could be used for their own purposes. This was before the NYPD even existed. The police force was nothing like what we understand it today. It was sort of a patchwork, cobbled together uh, a system of watchmen and hired, hired guards. Uh, and this story was part of an emerging movement to push towards the creation of what we today would recognize as a unified New York Police Department. And so who then picks up the investigation? Funny you should ask. Yeah, uh, um, the, the police were getting nowhere with it. Uh, and to be fair, uh, the case was tremendously confusing. There were all these different theories about the case. Some felt that she had was planning to run off with a with a lover. Some felt uh, that it was a crime of vengeance. Some people even suggested that it was a suicide, which is very strange because of the circumstances of the strangulation. And some felt that she wasn't dead at all. She'd run home off with someone in the body in the river with someone else, in spite of the fact that her mother and fiance identified uh, the corpse. So about a year later, Edgar Allan Poe weighs in and he decides that he is going to write a story about this and, in his phrase, indicate the assassin. Almost like a true crime before there was true crime. He reprinted almost verbatim extracts from newspapers of the day so that his detective could comment and examine uh, and offer his, his thoughts uh, on what had happened. And uh, it was really an extraordinary effort. But as you say, uh, you look back on it now and you realize Poe all but created the, the, the true crime genre. If someone doesn't sort of know, how, how is he sort of viewed now in, in hindsight? I can only go with what uh, Arthur Conan Doyle said about him uh, a generation later. Uh, Conan Doyle, who knew something about writing short stories and being successful as a writer and having uh, success as a detective story writer, called Poe the master of all. What did he, what were, what were the conclusions that he drew? You know, it's, it's I find this part the, the most interesting uh, uh, thing of all. Poe had to make some adjustments on the fly because there were things coming up about the case that forced him to, to adjust the direction that his story was moving. And it was published in three parts. And he even had to do some tinkering in between the publication of the second part and the, and the third part. He concluded that uh, there was this mysterious naval officer who had a hand in, in, uh, in the, the outcome of the story. And it's also important to say that he did cloak it in fiction. He did, the character was not called Mary Rogers, it was called Marie Roger, because the Dupin stories were already set in France. Uh, so there, there was that little bit of the protection afforded by casting it as fiction. But, the, uh, the fascinating thing to me about it now is if you were to go out and write a story and it featured a low speed chase on the freeway for, of a white Bronco and it featured the line, if the glove does not fit, you must acquit, you'd know what it is. You'd know what, the, what Stephen King, say, was writing about. But maybe 150 years from now, you wouldn't. And that's what confronts readers of this story today. Poe's story lived on, and the Mary Rogers uh, story largely was, was forgotten. In 
real life, the actual investigation keeps going. What what were some of the 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 theories or or the the conclusions that they reached in in the actual law enforcement investigation of the time? It was a jumble of theories and confused conclusions. Certainly, there is a possibility that Mary had found herself with child uh, and had uh, gone to have that taken care of using resources that were available at the time, which were pretty primitive, and, uh, and that she came to grief and, and perished uh, while seeking um, uh, what, they, what was that then called an unseemly me- uh, medical procedure. But that doesn't account for all of it. I mean, she was found with a lace cord tied around her neck and finger mark bruises uh, on her neck. The police really got nowhere with it. The case was never officially solved. Again, that was author Daniel Stashauer. His book, The Beautiful Cigar Girl, Mary Rogers, Edgar Allan Poe, and The Invention of Murder. Nearly two centuries later, what happened to Mary remains a mystery. Hidden deep in the waters off the Hudson River and beyond that cave in Hoboken, where history sometimes has a way of staying hidden. The Tape Room is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Bowens. Our executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Ahmad Asgar. Byron Harmon is vice president of Fox 5 News, and Lou Leone is senior vice president and general manager. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Tape Room. <laughs>